if you look at the Ten Commandments up here on the screen, you'll see that the first four are about our relationship with God, and the last six are about our relationship with people. Imagine getting married, and the day you say, I do, you say, you also make a vow. You say, from here on out, I'm never going to hear any marital advice. I don't ever want to know what makes my spouse feel loved. I don't want to know what hurts their feelings. I'm just going to play it by ear and do what I think I should do. That's what it's like for a Christian who does not put the Ten Commandments in their life. These are simply relationship principles on how we can have a better relationship with God and how we can have a better relationship with people. When you disobey the Ten Commandments, it does not affect God's love for you because we're under grace. But it does affect your love for God. Uh, it's just like with any person you're in a relationship with, when you do things that hurt them or that, that create some kind of distance in the relationship, it affects it. Same true of the Ten Commandments. Whenever we go against the Ten Commandments, it's not that God stopped loving us or loves us any less. It's that our heart has been pulled away from God. That's why they're very, very important. So each week what I'm doing is I'm proving that everyone in the room has broken whatever Ten Commandment we're on. I lead you in a prayer of repentance at the end of the sermon so our church can get used to repenting. And I give you one word that goes with that commandment so you'll always remember it. Okay? What was the word? Oh, Lord, help us. What was the word last Sunday to help us remember have no other gods before me? Yeah, I give you these words to help you remember what is, uh, is sovereignty have no other gods before me. Oh, Lord help us. Anyway, so today I can see how exciting the Ten Commandments are. Today in part two, the word is, for your notes, priority. Priority. Everybody say priority. So the Ten Commandments come from Exodus 20, and they're in Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy means the law repeated. But we're going to look at Exodus 20. And verses 2 through 3 was the first commandment. The second commandment is verses 4 through 5. You shall not make for yourself any idol or an image. Now, image is a word you're going to need to know at the end of the sermon. So don't forget that word. What's the word? Image. image. Of anything in heaven, on earth, or in the waters, you shall not bow down or worship them, for I am a jealous God, and I tolerate no rivals. Why did God need to teach them to have no other gods? It's because when they were in Egypt, Egypt, out of every nation on earth, had more false gods than anyone else. So why is he teaching them about idols? It's because they're coming out of Egypt, through the wilderness into the promised land, which is the land of Canaan. The Canaanites had more idols than any other nation on earth. So what is an idol? I wanted to give you a really good visual. You know how I am with my visuals of an idol. Um, in every person in this room, we all have a throne that is seated on the inside of our heart. This throne is only big enough for one person or one thing. It cannot be shared with anyone else. The highest priority in your life is what is seated on the throne of your heart. Uh, the highest priority of your day, the highest priority of your week, the reason you do what you do, the motives behind all of your actions, all of that determines what is seated on the throne of your heart. Now, because we're in church uh, and it's on Sunday morning, it's easy for us to say that God is seated on the throne of our hearts. This is actually made out of acacia wood, which is the same wood that they used to make Jesus's um, crown of thorns. It was probably thicker than that, but it's the exact same kind of wood. This represents God. And so it's easy for us to say Sunday morning, uh, God is seated on the throne of our hearts. Because we're around other believers, there's no way you can deny that. We're here on Sunday morning. We're hearing the Word of God preached. It's easy to say that. But what happens a lot of times during our week is we remove God from the throne and we put 
our problems on the, on the throne. Now, now this is a, a five by five Rubik's Cube. It represents problems that only God can solve or 1% of the Asian community. But mainly just God is what it, is, what it represents. I can say that because my kids are Asian. So anyway, anyway. So, um, so this represents a problem that only God can solve. And here's what happens. We consume ourselves with that problem. We have to fix that problem. What are we going to do if it doesn't work out for us? We can't sleep at night. We're awake. We're wondering what's the option. How is it going to happen? What if this problem doesn't solve itself? What am I going to do? And we say we give it to God, but then we take it right back and we put it on the throne of our hearts. And it consumes us. It's all we talk about. It's all we think about. It seems like every interaction we have with somebody is based on this problem that's going on in our hearts. And instead of putting God on the throne, we put our problems on the throne. But a lot of times it's not our problems. A lot of times it's actually a person. And we are so mesmerized by this person that's on the throne of our hearts. We want them to love us so much. We want them to think that we're great. We will change ourselves for this person. Not for God, but for the person. We'll change our convictions. We'll change our hairstyle. We'll try to lose weight so that this person will think we're great. Our confidence comes from this person. Our security comes from this person. Our peace. If this person cheats on us or doesn't do us right, then we're going to be consumed with trying to force them to be who we want them to be. And we will mold them and make them into our image. We'll make sure they act just right, say just the right things because our happiness is in the palm of this person's hand. And if they don't do us right, we're going to be sad and discouraged. And all of our heart has been given to this person and we remove God and we put a person on the throne of our hearts. Maybe a lot of times it's not a person. Maybe, who knows what I'm going to bring out next. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a thing. Maybe it's something that we just, we work so hard for, you know, we have to have that big house. So we sit aside our relationship with God. We sit aside our relationship with our family and we work 60 hours a week to make sure we can afford that three-day vacation to Disney World this year. So we spend those three days with our kids, spending all the money in the world, and the rest of the year, it's all about the Benjamins. It's all about what we can get more of. We have to afford the bigger house, the nicer X iPhone. We have to have it because it makes us feel important. If we don't have this, we don't feel very confident in ourselves. But if we have this, we're more secure. If we have more of this in the bank, then it makes us feel good about it. We can walk around with our head held high. If people see that we have the money, that we have the wealth, that we have the, the possessions in our hand, then we will have influence with them. Even though God says, I'm the only one that can give you influence. I can put one man up, put one man down. So, I have three P's for you today because the title of the sermon is Priority. I want you to uh, be able to see what exactly um, is, in, is, in, um, what exactly is battling for our heart with God. Our life will always go in the direction of our highest priority. Always. I mean, no matter how much you try to do something else, whatever is the highest priority in your life is what is seated on the throne, and your life will always follow the direction of the throne of your heart. So, um, here's the question. What's on your throne? I know you've heard, you know, what's in your wallet? What's on your throne? What's on your throne? There are three main idols that battle for our heart on a regular basis. Three P's. If you're ready, say, oh yeah. oh yeah. Number one is this, people. Now, I said it in the plural, but I believe that um, it should be singular, really. Who is the person? Who is the one person you cannot live without? Who's the one person that you think if you have this person in your life and if they are loyal and faithful to you, that's all you'll ever need? And you have to force them to be who you want them to be. 
You have to do things that, I know people that have actually changed their convictions. They had a conviction to come to church every Sunday morning, but they meet this person, and this person or this relative or this just pulls them away from God. I know people that they act like they can't hear from God unless they have this person in their life. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here's what a lot of people do. We remove Christ out of the scripture and we put a person there. I can do all things through my mom and dad. If something happened to them, how could I go on? If they go to heaven, how could I even live? I wouldn't know how to hear from God. I wouldn't know, man, what am I going to do without my best friend? They're moving away. How am I going to go on without that person in my life? I can do all things through my pastor. And if he doesn't deliver the word right, I'm not going to be able to hear from God without him. I can do all things through my boss. If my boss likes me, I'll do well. If my boss doesn't like me, I probably could lose my job and lose everything I have. It's funny, didn't God say that he was your source? A lot of people, they'll even put the president here, and if the president's who we want it to be, then we have peace in our life. If the president's not who we want it to be, then there's so much strife going on. And we just flood social media with strife because we're unhappy at what these people have done or who these people are. And the problem is, you've removed God off the throne of your heart and you put a person in that place. It's easy for us to look to people to be our confidence, our strength, our joy, but people are simply a resource that our source uses. You must understand that about every person in your life who God has brought into your life. God brought them there. He can remove them. God gave them the strengths that you love about them. And if you keep putting them on that throne, I promise you, God will do things in that relationship to move that person out of your life or out of the way or do something to draw you closer to him because God will have no rivals for your heart. No rivals. So why was this such an important point of the Israelites? Like I said, he was bringing them out of bondage, out of Egypt, into the land of Canaan. The Canaanites uh, inhabited this, the promised land. And uh, the Canaanites had more idols than anyone on earth. God's people, the Israelites, they were the only culture at the time in the entire world that did not worship an idol or an image of their God. They worshiped God himself. They were okay having an invisible God, and that was fine. Until they started hanging around the Canaanites. The Canaanites taught them, oh no, you need an image of God. You need to... And so here's what the Canaanites believed. They believed whenever they went out to the woods and got some wood to carve an image, or when they got some stone or some gold, they believed that when they carved an image of their God, that the spirit of that God would inhabit the image, and they would take that idol and place it where they wanted that spirit to be at. In other words, there was a God of fertility. Don't ask me what that God looked like, but they created an image of the God of fertility, and they believed that the spirit of fertility entered the image, and they would put it in their bedroom so their spouse could get pregnant, and they'd be able to multiply and have more Canaanites. There was a God of rain, and they developed this image of the rain God, and they believed the spirit of rain would enter the image. They would take the idol and put it outside next to their crops, believing that rain would come and pour in their crops. They'd be blessed with food. Where did they get that idea from? Where would they get the idea that there could be an image of a God and the spirit of that God would enter into the image and they could put it in places and there would be blessing to follow? Where did they get that from? They got it from Satan. Uh, the Bible says that Satan is a wicked schemer. Everybody say wicked. It's where we get the word wicker furniture. It means to twist. Satan twists what God says. He twists what God does. He twists things that God has made. Now, it's a very important point. Um, 
Satan cannot create anything. He can only make things. You and I, we cannot create anything. We can only make things. The only being in the universe that can create is God. Here's the difference. When you create something, you create something from nothing. God created the heavens and the earth. They came from nothing. But when you and I make a building, we make a building out of metal which came from the earth that God created. When we make a painting, we make it with a canvas and paint that came from something God created. So we can't create, we can only make. Satan can't create, he can only make. And when he makes something, he twists what God does. Uh, you and I, we were not created in the image of God. We were made in the image of God. There's a big difference. Genesis 1.26, he said, Let us, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make man in our image. Adam's body came from the earth that God created. It was made from the earth. Um, Eve's body was made from Adam that came from the earth that came from God. Uh, their spirit and our spirit was not created. It was made. Our spirit came from God. So we were, everybody say, I was made. Here's why this is so important. The Israelites didn't need an image of God because they were an image of God. They didn't need an idol. If they wanted to see an image of their God with the spirit of that God in the image, all they had to do was look in the mirror. But yet they got deceived into thinking, no, we're not good enough. We need a, a, an idol, an image. They didn't want to you are an image of God. See, what I'm saying today is you may not go out and carve an idol out of a tree or put some gold and bring out a melting calf or anything like that. You may go to an image of God, an image of God that was made in His image, that has the Spirit of God in the image, and it's not God, but it's an image of Him. And you take that image of God with the Spirit of God, which is a person, and you make that person a higher priority than you make God Himself. You don't have to go cut something out from a tree to have an idol. You have an idol in the people that you value more than you value God. Who can you just not live without? Who do you have to have doing right and treating you right for you to go on and be happy and have sleep at night and peace in your hearts? If it's not God, then it's an idol. Uh, Paul said in Galatians 1.10, I'm not trying to please people. I want to please God. So I don't seek the approval of people. I seek the approval of God only. I wonder how many times we have traded in what God told us to do, a conviction in our heart. How many times have we misplaced our confidence and given it to a person rather than the one who approves of us who created the heavens and the earth? How many times have we followed what a person wanted us to do? And listen, it's not wrong that the person did that. It's wrong that we put the person on the throne of our hearts. It's not their fault if they control you or manipulate you or make you feel like you need to change who you are to win their approval or for them to think that you're beautiful or whatever the case is. It's your fault for allowing it to happen. When Moses was 120 years old, he died and the Israelites were so upset because Moses was everything to them. Everything. Deuteronomy 34.8 says this, the people wept for Moses for 30 days and then God said, stop weeping, stop mourning, get on with your life. The problem was is they couldn't sleep at night because they lost a person. They couldn't function at work because they lost a person. They were so depressed because they lost a person in their life. And God's saying, get on with your life. It's time to go forward. Moses is with me. 
rejoice, keep going. But Joshua, who was Moses' best friend, they were BFFs for so many years. I mean, they were, they were, they were every Facebook picture was the two of them together. I mean, they were just, they just, they, it, was, it was a bromance that was healthy and godly. I mean, it was just, they just, they was just loved each other as friends, okay? And so, and so Moses dies and Joshua's still upset. And so God comes to him in Joshua 1, 2 and says, Moses is dead. Arise, go to the promised land. If there's someone in your life and their part in your story is over, if you don't freely allow them to leave you when it's time to go, they will stop you from your promised land. Do not try to open up a door that God has closed. Do not continue mourning for someone that's rejoicing in heaven. Do not let some person that will not give you what it is you need. No one person can give you everything you need. I read so many magazines and, and articles and books that the greatest amount of, of, of whatever you need from a person, they can give you is 80%. That's the greatest. That's like if they have every quality you want in a person. There's still 20% missing. Only God can give you everything you need in a relationship. Amen. Only God. And so in Joshua 1 5, uh, God said, uh, Joshua, Moses, I was just like I was with Moses, is the same way I'm going to be with you. Here's what I think God was saying every good quality that you liked in Moses, I gave it to him. The confidence you felt when Moses was around you, that was me. The peace that you felt when you were hanging out with Moses, that was my peace. The wisdom you got from the mouth of Moses, I gave him that wisdom. The love, the leadership abilities, all the qualities that you liked about Moses, those qualities came from me. So stop worshiping one of my resources and go straight to the source. Now, I wanted to close. Point two and three are a lot shorter, so don't. I'll promise the sermon will end in the few short hours that we have together today. Um, but I wanted to give you some Fourth of July humor. You know, it's Fourth of July. So here's some political humor. It's a true story. True story. In talking about not letting people take the place of God, and you can't always depend on people, but you can depend on God. But there was a true story of a mayor in Chicago, Richard Daly. I think Richard Daly was his name. And Richard Daly, his son was also a mayor. But this was the mayor um, in 1956. This was the father. In the 50s, he was known for being the best public speaker of any politician there was around. He was an incredible speech giver. But what the public didn't recognize was is that he had a speech writer. He had one of the best speech writers ever. No one really knew that. They just thought that Mayor Daley was the best you know, public speaker. In fact, Mayor Daley was so confident in his speech writer, he wouldn't even look at the speeches half the time. He would show up for whatever he was doing. He'd hand him the speech. And he would simply read the speech off and crowds just went wild. Well, when the speechwriter found out how important everyone saw Mayor Daly because of the speeches, he asked for a raise. And Mayor Daly said, I'm not giving you a raise. He said this, you should be happy just to work for such a great American hero like myself. So the speechwriter said, okay, fine. No raise for me. They went on the next week. Mayor Daley was giving a huge speech to all the veterans. The title of it was 17-point plan to help the veterans of the nation. And he told how great veterans are, and we love veterans. We should always take care of the veterans. And he said, I have a 17-point plan to help this country do more for our veterans. And everyone was on the edge of their seat. They couldn't wait to hear the plan. Mayor Daley couldn't wait to hear what the plan was. He turned the page in his notebook, and the very next page read this. You are on your own, you great American hero. (laughs) 
True story. Look it up in our nation's history. Okay, number one was people. Number two was this. Possessions. Possessions. Possessions can steal the throne of our heart away from God. 1 John 5.21 says, Guard yourselves from idols or anything that would become a substitute for God's place in your heart. Substitute like a substitute teacher. It's not the real teacher. It's one that we have more fun with. It seems more exciting, but it's not the teacher that God has put in your life. And so we have this substitute, and um, I want you to see by the Scripture too, it's not really an outward thing all the time. It's a heart issue. God is a God of hearts. Um, God is okay with you having possessions. He's not okay with possessions having you. That's where he draws the line. You can have all the possessions in the world, but he doesn't want any of those possessions, no matter how big or small, to have your heart. In Exodus 12, 35, after the children of Israel left Egypt for 430 years, God gave them favor and they left Egypt with silver and gold and wealth and not one of the two million something people was left out. If God had a problem with us having possessions, he would not have given his people wealth, gold, and silver. But the money isn't there to take care of them. That's God's job. The money isn't what provides for them. That's God's position. But too many times we see these things as our source for provision or security or confidence in our life, and we remove God off the throne, we put that thing on there. And so why would God give them all this wealth? The same reason he's given it to you, to test your heart, to see if he needs to take it back or see if he needs to give you more. In Exodus 25, 2, the Lord said, okay, here's what I want you to do with all this gold and silver. Receive an offering from me from every man who has a willing heart. It's a heart issue. It's not an outward issue. It's a heart issue. Here's what he's saying. I blessed you. Now I want you to bless me. I want to see what is sitting on the throne of your heart. That's all I want to do is see what's on the throne. That's it. Exodus 32, 4, all the people, they took the gold like God said, but here's what they did with it. They made a molten calf. They said, this is our God. This is the God that delivered us. This is the God that healed us. This is the God that gave us security in our life. This is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Then they all ate and drank and enjoyed bike week. Every single one of them right there. <laughs> God's people didn't worship God with their possessions. They worshiped their possessions. Why would somebody do this? Let me tell you, let me, get, let me go a little spiritual on you just for a second. I'm not weird, so don't leave. But whatever's on the throne of your heart, the longer it's there, the more it begins to whisper to you spiritually. Just like a demon. Just like Satan can twist things that God says. And there's things in your life that I think God wants to bring into your life and give you. But if you have that thing or that person on the throne of your heart, you'll begin to make dumb decisions or have a lack of integrity to get that thing that God wants to bring into your life, but you do things to kind of twist it. And it whispers to you, it's okay, God wants, God wants me, God wants you to have me. God wants to do this for you, and you start thinking it's so true that you'll do things that are unhealthy to get it. Here's what, here's what money or wealth or possessions, here's what they whispered us, they whispered us this, um, if you have me, you'll feel better about yourself. If you have me, you'll have more influence. The Bible says that promotion doesn't come from the north, south, east, or west. It comes from God. If you have me, people will like you. You'll have favor in your life. But God says favor comes from me. 
If you have me, you'll have peace. Well, the Bible says that God gives us peace that passes all understanding. It whispers the very thing that God wants to give you. And we tend to start to believe it. So how do we know, how, do, how can I prove right now if there's something on the throne of your heart that is a possession? Here's how you know. If you can't throw it away, if you can't give it away, and you can't sell it, it owns you. If you can't throw it away when God says throw it away, if you can't give it away when God says give it away, if you can't sell it, um, you can't pay your light bill, but you refuse to get rid of that $50,000 car in your front yard or whatever because you think your neighbors or people are going to think bad of you. If you can't throw it away, give it away, or sell it, it owns you. Um, I'll tell you a, a great miracle story in my life. This is one of my favorite stories ever. But um, years and years ago, a, a, a guy who was really blessed by a ministry that I was part of called me up and he said, um, what's your dream car? You know, don't go crazy on me. Just, you know, just give me something, you know, whatever. I said, well, I said, I've always wanted one of the new challengers, you know, with, I want to get some stickers, Dukes of Hazard, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, he said, okay. He said, I found one in Texas. It's $35,000 and um, it's got all the bells and whistles. It's a 2008 Challenger. It's got everything you want on it. And I said, I don't have that kind of money. He said, no, I'm going to pay the difference. I'm going to pay for it. You sell your $20,000 truck. I'll pay whatever it takes to get your payments to be the same thing. I just want to bless you. I said, okay. So I took the blessing. A few months later, some ladies in church got together, and they decided they didn't want a pastor that drove a flashy car. So they met with me. Told me, you need to get rid of the car. I didn't pray about it. I didn't ask God what I should do. I immediately got rid of the car to get the approval of these people. The very next week, they left church anyway. <laughs> And I was beating myself up so bad. I was so upset. I thought, God, I can't believe I took a blessing that you gave me. And I so quickly gave it away to get the approval of some person in my life. And so for the next two or three years, I began to research to find me another car. My grandma passed away, left me some inheritance money. I, I probably went through maybe 36 different cars to find the one I felt good about. Finally, I found one I felt good about. The Kelly Blue Book was like $25,000. The guy was selling it for 23, 24, something like that. So I went and test drove it. I liked it. I started talking to him. And he lowered the price down to $20,000. I thought, I really feel good about it now. We went to the bank to go sign papers. And um, I have to tell you this. In my first car, my 2008, uh, the first three months I had the car, I spent maybe 15 to 20 minutes every day just cleaning it, making sure it was nice. And I downloaded all of my favorite songs onto the hard drive. It holds about 3,000 songs. Uh, I've downloaded maybe 300 of my favorite songs. And I even put some of my sermons on there because I like to hear myself preach. I think I'm a, I'm a good preacher. Builds my faith. Calm down. Do what you, you look in the mirror. So be quiet. Anyway, and so, um, whatever. And so that was my first car. I got rid of it. So upset. Now I have another car I want to buy. I've examined 36 cars. Finally found one. It's a 2013. And as we're signing the papers and the guy sees that I'm a pastor when we're at the bank, he says, you know what? I'll lower it another $1,000 for you. I was like, really? We already agreed on 20000 He comes to not. I thought either something's wrong with the car or it's the favor of God, one or the other. And so we sign the papers and we get outside and he hands me the keys. And the last thing he says is this. Considering you're a pastor, you're probably going to love that car. I said, why do you say that? He says, somebody downloaded 300 Christian songs from the 80s and 90s. There's even a preacher on there preaching and I can't figure out how to get the songs off. <laughs> I got in that car and I hit play and I started hearing the greatest preacher I've ever heard in my life.
T.D. Jakes was just letting me have the word. It was so good. And um, listen, it's a five-year car difference. The other one was a 2008 from Texas. This was a 2013, a totally different car. Lower payments, nicer car, and it already had all the songs that I put on the other car on this car. I cannot explain that other than the hand of God. I've tried to figure it out. I've looked at the registration, tried to call. There's no way to figure it out other than somehow I can't wait till I get to heaven to find out what God did for that to happen. Here's my point. I don't think God would have done that for me if I had not been willing to get rid of something because I just thought it was the right thing to do in my life. Number one is people. Number two is possessions. Number three is, this is a quick, easy one. It's ponder. It's what you ponder. This is in Ezekiel 14, 1 through 4. Any elder of Israel who separates himself from me, taking idols into his heart and putting images before his face, I, the Lord, will come against that hypocrite in order that I can take hold of the heart or the mind of Israel. I want you to see that it's a heart issue and it's even a mind issue. Uh, he says, I have no graven image. The word image is the root to the word imagination. Your imagination is neither good nor bad. It could be the most powerful tool in the world to you, or it could be the thing that destroys you. Our imagination, the minute we wake up, what is it that's on our mind? What are we thinking about? What consumes us? For us, it's our problems. we got to fix it. It's got to work out. What are we going to do if it doesn't? On and on we go. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says this, We use God's power to cast down wrong imaginations and make every thought obey Christ. Here's what this is saying. You need to dethrone fear in your life. You need to dethrone the lust in your life. You need to dethrone the worry. Dethrone it. How do I know if there is an imagination that is wrong? How do I know if I have such a problem in my life that I've removed God from the throne of my heart and put that problem there? Here's how you know. I'm going to give you a spiritual answer and a natural answer. Here's the spiritual answer. If there's discontent in your heart, if there's a lack of peace in your heart, then there's something on the throne of your life that should not be there. Now, here's the natural answer. If before you go to bed at night, you can't fall asleep because you're thinking about that problem. If you're 40 years old like me, and you get up 12 times to pee in the middle of the night, and every time you get up, before you get to the toilet, the problem is back on the th- You're going to the throne, and the, your throne's already got the problem on there. <laughs> so funny I just thought that okay here's the other one is if you wake up in the morning if you wake up y'all listen if you wake up and the first thing on your mind is that problem you have a wrong imagination how do we cast it down Joshua 1 8 says this meditate on God's word day and night and you'll prosper and have good just get a proverb put your Bible next to your bed open up a proverb just just keep reading that one proverb over and over until it fills your imagination uh, sometimes what I do, I put myself in the position of people in the Bible. I pretend like in my imagination that I'm Daniel and what it felt like for God to shut the mouths of my enemies. I pretend like I'm David and what God did whenever he helped him defeat Goliath. And I see my problem as Goliath and I see God calling me to step out with nothing but a slingshot in my hand. You imagine yourself like the heroes of faith. Imagine yourself as, as you know, Moses parting the Red Sea. Imagine yourself as Samson defeating the enemy. Imagine yourself as Delilah. I mean, don't imagine yourself as Delilah, but all the other ones are great. Imagine all the other ones. <laughs> Dethrone those wrong imaginations. So here's what I want to do. I want to close with a story that sums up the whole sermon, and I'm done. 
there was a man named Abraham. And God had blessed him so much, but there was just one thing he wanted. He wanted this person so bad. He wanted to possess a child. And so he pondered it for 20 years. And one day, God brought that miracle into his life and Isaac was born. Abraham was so excited to possess this child, this person in his life. I mean, he, all the years that he pondered how God was going to do it and it came to pass. And then one day, God came into his life again. And in Genesis 22, verse 2, he said this, Take the only son that you have. Take Isaac. Take the one I gave. Take the dream that I brought into your life. And I want you to give him back to me. Abraham thought, are you kidding me? This is my whole life. Everything that I've been dreaming about, praying about, thinking about is seated on this throne. God, please don't take this from me. All God wanted to do was seeing what's on the throne of your heart, Abraham. What is there something in your life more important than me? Then you better give it right back. Sometimes God will ask us to surrender the very thing we want the most. Just to show him that he's the most important thing in our life. So Abraham was obedient. He put God on the throne of his heart and he put his child on the altar. His hand was in the knife was in his hand, up in the air, ready to go, just, just ready to obey everything God told him. And God showed up again in verse 12 and said, Do not lay your hand on the boy, for now I know that you truly love me. Here's what God was saying. I see that I'm on the throne of your heart. So I'm going to give you whatever you want in life. Because I'm the most important. What priority will God find in your heart sitting on a throne and prepared for Him? 